Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or thee, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. So we uh, kick off this week in our first talk, I suppose, specifically related to our theme for this year being uh, saturating our life and our community with Jesus. And uh, as you've heard and as we've been seeing, we're talking about how Jesus is better. Uh, many of you know that I grew up in Tasmania in a town called Launceston in a family, uh, mum and dad and a sister. Uh, when I was growing up, I spent a lot of my time playing sport. That was pretty much just about everything that I did. Uh, apart from that, I can't remember that I did much at all. Uh, I loved my sport, loved playing sport. It was everything that I uh, enjoyed doing. Uh, but as I was growing up, not only was I playing sport, uh, enjoying my family, I suppose, I had a really good close family, I spent a whole lot of my time as I was growing up wanting to be affirmed by other people. Uh, I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to say that I was good. So I was a good boy. Uh, most of the time at school I was good. I did the things that the teachers asked me to do. Most of the time when I was going through high school I did the things that people wanted me to do because I wanted people to like me. I was a good boy. Uh, at the church that I was going to back then it was an Anglican church which was a particularly high church. Uh, I was a good altar boy. I used to stand up the side with my white cassock on and I'd give the wine and the bread to the uh, minister who would finish off the whole lot of it at the end. I hope he never drove home. Uh, but I was a good boy because uh, I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to affirm me uh, because that is what I believed was what was going to save me. That was what was going to satisfy me. Uh, even when I played sport, I wanted to be good at sport so that people would say that I was good at sport. Uh, so I played sport and I played sport well. I may not always have been a good sport on the sporting field, uh, but I did it because I wanted people to like me. I wanted to be affirmed by people. I wanted people to say that I was nice. My saviour in life 
was to be affirmed by other people, for people to like me. Now that's dangerous because not everyone liked me, not everyone likes me now. Uh, being affirmed by people is nice, but being that my salvation, then I was in trouble because I did get in trouble because I didn't do things that everyone liked. And even if I tried to do things that like, sometimes I did stupid things so that people would like me. What I thought was going to save me, what I thought was going to be the best for my life, what I thought was the best thing, I thought was being affirmed by people. But that's not the go, is it? There is someone better than all of that. Someone who loves me for who I am. Someone who I don't have to impress because he's already impressive. Someone who loves me so much that he would even go to the cross for me. Someone who loves me so much that he won't even leave me as I am, but he will move me and transform me and bring me into the person that I was created to be. Jesus is that person. He is far better than any saviour that anyone can have. I wonder if you've fallen into that trap too of going after something else to be your salvation. A guy by the name of Tim Keller, who some of you might have heard and read about, says that we have these things called functional saviours. They're things that we do because we think they're going to be the thing to satisfy us, to save us, to give us that meaning, purpose and reason in life. And they're all around us. And even when we trust and believe in Jesus, these saviours can slip in to be affirmed by other people can still slip into my life. To be having a career that is well known and I'm seen as being a great business person or a great whatever. Being a great at sport, being the best at something, being affirmed in that. Career, job, partner. If I just marry the right person or if I just have that girlfriend or if I just have, then I'm going to be all good, saved. Now, I don't know what it is for you. There's lots of functional saviours out there. There's lots of things that want to come into our lives and want to take over and if we think we give it all, all to it, that it's going to save us. But in the end, none of them do, do they? Because only Jesus saves. Jesus is better than any saviour. And we're going to be thinking about that this morning. We're going to be thinking about what that means for you and I. We're going to be thinking about what that has for us as we live now, how we live knowing that. We're going to be thinking about that. And when we go off this week into our groups, we're going to be exploring that even more to see what that means. Not only is Jesus better, not only is Jesus the saviour, but Jesus wants us to be living that out in our lives that changes how we live. Uh, so that's why we've been reading 1 Corinthians 15 this morning because Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says that this is of first importance, the most important thing that you can have. This is the centre. If you don't have that, everything else crumbles around it. 
Uh, so open your Bibles up and have a look at 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we're going to be concentrating on mainly verses 3 and 4 because that's where it all comes together. But if you're in 1 Corinthians, uh, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, you'll know that it's a book written by a guy called Paul. Good name, I don't know why Ben went to Ben rather than staying with Paul. But uh, uh, it's a, written by a guy called Paul and he's writing this to a church, a group of believers uh, who've come together, who've kicked off really well who've started off loving Jesus and doing all those good things, they've been doing great things together, but suddenly they've gone whooshka, off into a really skewy direction and Paul's wanting to bring them back. So if you work through the first part of 1 Corinthians, you see that Paul's wanting to say it's not about him, it's not about anyone else, it's about Jesus. And then in the middle part of 1 Corinthians, he goes on and he talks about all the areas and the directions that they've gone skewy. And he talks about how they've gone off skewy in their sexual practices, how they've gone skewy in their Lord's Supper practices, how they've gone skewy in their understanding of tongues and gifts and how it works together and how the body works together. And then in chapter 15, he gets to the end, chapter 14, he talks about we need to bring it all together. And in chapter 15, he says, this is the core. This is the centre. This is where it's at. So have a look there in verses uh, 1 through to 3 and 4 there. Uh, Paul says that it is by the gospel you are saved. If you hold firm to this, nothing else saves you guys. Community won't save you, family won't save you, career won't save you, sex won't save you, the way that you operate around in the church won't save you. Only the gospel saves you. And what is the gospel? What is of first importance? What is the key to all of this? Look there in verse 3. What I received, I passed on to you as first importance. This is where it's at. This is what we've got to have completely sorted in our understanding and in our hearts because if we don't have this completely sorted, if we don't understand this, nothing else will happen the way that God wants it to. Nothing else will operate You will be skewy. You will be looking for functional savers. You will be heading in directions that will take you off in tangents. This is of first importance. And he summarises it in a sentence, doesn't he? He's got four that's that he puts together there. And the first one is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. very simple isn't it in one sense it's like Christ died for our sins Jesus died for our sins so simple but yet so deep because it delves into the core of who we are it delves into our greatest problem if I was to ask you what is the world's biggest problem today what would you say don't give me the one. Well, you can give me the answer that I'm looking for, but uh, what would you think the world says is our biggest problem today? Global warming, refugees, population, greed. Yeah, all those things. Some big things out there, aren't there? There are some big issues in our world today. But are they our greatest need? What's the greatest need of our community? Transport, jobs, uh, the bringing together of family, 
making sure their education system's right, making sure that we have all those things sorted. What's our greatest need of you and me? Well, Paul says, Jesus says, our greatest need of first importance is that our sin is dealt with. You see, of all those issues that we have in the world, don't get me wrong, I won't want to diminish them in one sense. They are huge and they are big and we need to think about them. But ultimately, the biggest problem for our world, the biggest problem for our community, the biggest problem for you and me is sin. You see, if we go back to the story of Adam and Eve, where Adam and Eve decide that they know better than God, that they think that they can take something and it will be better for them than God says it is, and then it goes skewy for them. As you see, the rest of the Bible is all about how God's going to deal with that issue. It's sin. And it's not just Adam and Eve, it's yours and mine because we're the same as they are because we've all decided in our lives that we believe, we think we know what's better than God does. We're not going to trust God's word. We're not going to believe what he says in his word in the Bible. We think we know better. And so we think we're going to live out our lives the way we think it works. The world thinks they know better than God. The world thinks it understands how it's going to operate and so it goes off and it lives its world, its way outside of what God says. And that's sin. You see, we were created right back in the beginning. You and I were created to love God perfectly and to love others perfectly. That's what the Garden of Eden is. It's a beautiful place, yes, but the key to the Garden of Eden is that people were loving God perfectly and they were loving each other perfectly. But that's not the world today, is it? The world is broken, isn't it? Our world is broken, our community is broken, we are broken, our relationships are broken. But most importantly and most devastatingly is that our relationship with God is broken because of sin. You see, sin impacts a whole lot of things, but most at the core of it, at the very base of it, is that sin is an offence to God. that is saying to God, you're giving him the finger. He may not think you're doing that, but when you decide to live your life your way and don't think God's got it sorted and you've got it sorted, you're telling him, go and get, literally. And it's an offence to him, first and foremost. Yes, it impacts us, but it's ultimately and firstly offence to him. And so what does God do about it? God doesn't leave it like that though, does he? Because God loves us so much that he wants that brokenness, his heart broken to be restored and so he sends Jesus. And so Paul says of first importance that Christ died for our sin. Of first importance. I don't know where you've heard the illustration that sometimes people use in regards to how uh, this looks, uh, in a sense, if you had a judge and the judge is in his up there on his platform and in comes a person who's done something wrong, the person stands before him 
uh, and the judge says, yes, you've done something wrong, uh, you're sentenced to such and such and the fine is such and such and then the judge gets down off the pedestal and he comes down and he pays the fine for the person and he says, now you can go free because I've paid it for you. Well, it's even more devastating that and even more grand than that. Because you see, the person who's in the stall, who's at the front, hasn't just done something wrong out there in society. The person in the stall has done something wrong to the judge. Who's gone against the judge, like he's taken one of the judge's life or deserted or robbed from him. But then the judge comes down then and says, I'll take the punishment for you. And I'm going to tear up all the others that you've done before as well and give you a completely clean slate because I'm going to take the punishment for you. It's going to be laid on me. That's the picture here. Jesus comes into our broken world and because of the offence against his father, the offence against him, because of our sin against them, he comes in and he takes the punishment. He goes to the cross for us. Christ died for our sin for your sin, for my sin, for our offence against him. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? I don't know whether you've thought about that before. When you do something wrong now, when you disobey God now, and you see the consequences in what happens around you, do you remember that that first and foremost is an offence against God, the creator of everything? David, in Psalm 51, after he's just committed adultery with Bathsheba, what does he say? He says, Lord, cleanse me. My sin is against you and you only. Well, he's got it slightly wrong, hasn't he? Because he has sinned against Bathsheba and he has sinned against Uriah and he has sinned against a whole lot of things. But first and foremost, he sinned against God. But God, in his phenomenal love, dies for us at the cross, at the cross where your blood ran red, my sin white, white, or cleansed white, I can't remember the exact wording, but he's taken it out for us, hasn't he? He's done that for us, for you and me. At the cross, Jesus has dealt with our biggest problem, with the world's biggest problem, with our community's biggest problem, with your biggest problem, with my biggest problem. He's dealt with our sin. That's phenomenal, isn't it? He saved us. You know, the really good news about that is too that we don't have to save ourselves. We don't have to go around and try and doing it. We don't have to go and try and be good. We don't have to try and be nice. We don't have to try and be religious. We don't have to try and go around and help people across the street. We don't have to try and curb things in that sense. We don't have to do that because Jesus has done it. We cannot do that. We cannot save ourselves. Religion will not save you. Family will not save you. Anything else will not save you. Trying to be good will not save you. Only Jesus does it. That is so freeing. But so phenomenally amazing, isn't it? He would do that for us. How thankful can we be that Jesus is so much better, isn't he? So much better. And the other good thing about it is we don't have to save anyone else. Do we? 
I don't have to save you. Your salvation is not in my hands, guys. I have a responsibility to teach the Bible well to you. I have the responsibility to live out what God wants me to do. But you're not my responsibility for salvation, guys. No one is. That's God's, that's Jesus, that's his. his. He's done it, he's done it. I don't have to save you. You don't have to save anyone else. So you don't have to control anyone to make them be saved, do you? You don't have to drive away to try and save somebody in a sense. You don't have to try and control them and work them and bring them into... We don't have to do that. We just have to love them, don't we? And in loving them, we bring them to Jesus. We tell them about Jesus. We show them what Jesus is like. But we don't have to save them. Because we're not the saviours. If you read Jeff Founderstelt's book and you get through Saturate, you'll see that that was one of the things that was just driving him crazy because it drove him to basically exhaustion because he thought he just had to do everything to try and save everyone. Well, not too many of us are probably driven to exhaustion that way. But... It's a great freeing sense, isn't it? Jesus is better. Jesus has saved us. He's dealt with our biggest problem and he will be the one who deals with everyone else's biggest problem. Our role is to love them so that they get to see him and understand that and hear about him so that they can take that for themselves. How good is Jesus? He is better. So much better. Not only Jesus, Jesus deal with our biggest problem, but Jesus empowers us to live the life he wants us to now. He empowers us because he's not dead anymore. Do you see that in the passage? That he was buried. Now, that's a good point because if he wasn't buried, then we're not 100% sure he was dead, but he was buried and then he rose again after three days. He's alive now. He's not just alive back then, he's still alive now. And him being alive now means that he wants us to be part of that too, that he wants to live within us by his spirit to enable us to live as well. So that Christ lives in us, so that we can live out the life that he wants us to live. So that we can be changed, so we can be transformed, so that he can take us and mould us into the people that we were created to be. He empowers us to do that because he is still alive today. Don't think that the resurrection just happened back there in one sense. That's a great thing. We need to know that because that's a confirmation he's dealt with sin. But he's alive today as well. And he wants us to live for him now and he empowers us to do that. He's not only saved us from our greatest need, but he actually saves us now. He makes us into his people now. Empowers us now. Jesus is better. Now, I've been wanting to play this clip for a long time because I love this song. And it sort of fits. No, it does fit. Because, uh, you know, when, we've, when we realise what Jesus has done for us, when we realise that he has paid the price for sin, when we realise that we now, when we put our trust in him, he comes to live with us and he empowers us because he's, li- he's alive now, he empowers us to live now. And he wants us to live that life now, that we are new beings. The Bible says that we are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. We are now to live for Jesus. And this song called Shake 
uh, I think helps us to think about that and be excited about it as well. the excitement i love that he talks about life new life you've been set free you now have life before we were heading to death but now we're heading to life when we put our trust and belief in jesus because he is the better savior and he empowers us by his spirit to live that life out whether you want to shake like you changed i'm not sure but uh the idea isn't it that god has changed us We are no longer this, we are now this. We are no longer against God, we're now for God. We're no longer heading for death, we're now heading for life eternally. All because of Jesus. He's the right saviour, isn't he? Work's not going to do that for you. 
Career is not going to do that for you. A new wife or a new husband is not going to do that for you. Your family is not even going to do that for you. Jesus is better. He's absolutely better. Because not only has he taken over and dealt with our biggest problem, not only does he empower us to live now, but he's got our future securely in his hands as well. Uh, If you flipped your Bibles across a little bit further, you'll see that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, Paul continues. This is a this whole section is an, an argument that Paul's putting together. That if Jesus rose, then we're going to rise. If Jesus is alive, then we're going to have life, and that resurrection is real not only for Jesus but for you and I as well. Uh, and he says here, doesn't he? Verse twenty, he says, "But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead comes through also through a man. For as Adam all, for as in Adam all die." So in Christ, all will be made alive. What he's saying here is that if Jesus rose from the dead, then it's confirmation that you and I will too. If Jesus rises, then he's not only got your past sorted, your now sorted, but he's got your future sorted as well. Your eternity is in his hands and he's got it and he's got it and he's going to hold it for you. It's confirmation, guys, that we don't need to be worried about what's going to happen in the future because Jesus has got it. Here's where we're safe. Uh, I love the old Crimsafe ads. Do you like the Crimsafe ads? Uh, They have the door and they show you the really flimsy one. Someone comes up and kicks it and the thing goes smashing through and then they say the Crimsafe one and they put the door up and someone kicks it and someone bashes it and someone hits it. You can't get through it because it's safe and secure. If it's not crim safe, it's not crim safe. They guarantee it, don't they, that you're safe when you've got crim safe around you. Well, Jesus is our safe. He's our safe place. Our life is safe with him because he's got it sorted. He's got you now sorted and he's got your future sorted. He's got your eternity in his hands. We don't have to fear that anymore because he's got us. We're safe in him. We don't have to fear what's ahead of us. That's a big call, isn't it? How many of us worry about tomorrow? How many of us fear what's happening down the track? What's going to happen in a couple of weeks, a couple of months? couple of years, what's going to happen for eternity for us? Well, when we truly understand that Jesus' death on the cross has paid the penalty for our sin, when we understand that his resurrection brings life to you and I now and for eternity, that his resurrection guarantees that he's got our future in his hand, every part of it, right up to the moment when we die and past that, he's got it all sorted, then it drives out all fear, doesn't it? That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? Love drives out, perfect love drives out all fear. What is that perfect love? It is the love of Jesus who goes to the cross for us, who rises again, who empowers us to live now and who has got the future secure for us. We do not have to fear. Perfect love drives that out. We don't have to fear other people's affirmation. 
We don't have to fear that if our work crashes around us. We don't have to fear that we're going to try and save everyone. We don't have to fear the next couple of weeks. We don't have to fear next year. We don't have to fear eternity because Jesus has got it. Jesus is better. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Can I encourage you to hold dearly to that? Go back and read that passage. Spend some time praying and asking God to confirm that in your soul. If you've never done that before, come and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you about that. If you want to hand your life completely over to the better Saviour who deals with your biggest problem, who empowers you to live the life you're supposed to live now, who has your future securely in his hands, that you are safe in him, then please speak to me. I'd love to pray with you about that. Speak to one of the elders. Speak to someone you know who knows Jesus. And if you do know that, I pray that you'll pray that the Spirit will just drive that into your soul so deeply that it can't help but burst forth from you in how you live your life with a better Saviour, with a better Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... In the world around us, uh, with the busyness that we're in, with uh, lots of things happening about us, Lord, sometimes we forget of what is of first importance. What is the centre? What is the core? What truly is what life is about? Lord, we want to thank you that you've drawn us back to that today, that you've drawn us back to Jesus that you've drawn us back to his salvation for us, that he died for our sin, that he's taking the punishment for our offence against you, Lord. And we couldn't do it, only he can. And he has. And he loved us so much to do that. Lord, may we be on our knees in thankfulness to you, Lord. May we see that as first importance in our lives. Drive us back to that, Lord. Confirm in our spirit and our soul, Lord. Affirm within us that in Jesus' death and resurrection, that, Lord, we find life, that Jesus is better than anything else we put our trust in in this world. That in him we have new life, that we've been made new, that we can shake, Lord, that we can be excited, that we can live lives that have been transformed and renewed, that we are new, Lord, in Jesus. And that our life and our future and our eternity is safe and secure in his hands. Help us to place our lives in his hands this morning, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.